the clock is ticking tick tock what's the time mr clark little hand says it's time to rock and roll bring the noise this is gary gary hoffman this is gary and he's very very famous on twitter shannon farron <laughs> it's terrible she has beautiful eyes and her hair smells like cinnamon mm-hmm. gary and shannon i wouldn't be anywhere else at this hour in our office and starts talking to us, we can't both ignore that person. Like, that is textbook rude. And you know what? Unlike you, I care about my reputation around here. I find that hard to believe. (laughs) But seriously, what is it about our office that says, come in and uh, tell us your problems? No, wait, Monica, no. No, no, it's not... (laughs) Uh, (laughs) i show up in that doorway every day to say good morning you have a giant smile on your face you're always happy now but i do have a question about that all right um is there something specific about that office where you go you know what i can't i cannot pass that door without popping in and saying hi well technically i don't have to pass a door so i go out of my way to say hello to you people because i have to see you for the next four hours so it's just uh polite. so you're just greasing the skids at that point yeah you're just it's a making... polite greeting yeah but you I, are I, very I, polite in the morning i mean i like you um your smile is always <laughs> lovely first thank you. first thing in the morning thank uh-huh. you it fades you know it as does. the show goes on it does yeah <laughs> good morning well, and good morning to you, to you Monica. Yes. We have a huge show. with you. Monica's favorite day is Wednesday. It we really talk is. What you watch in Wednesday. I am deep into Tales in the City. Tales of the City. I've never heard of it. You guys are going to have to tell me more about and it. And I finished it over the weekend. So. Um, I started one last night called Crashing. It's already in season three. I've never... I had heard it mentioned. It popped up on a list of something to watch. So I started watching it last night. It was really good. That's on very, HBO, right? Yes. 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 In fact, there's a Netflix series called Crashing that's not the same thing. Because there was one point where the cable box wasn't working and I tried to go to find it somewhere else. And it, I started watching some show on Netflix. Just not the Completely same. Completely different. Totally different. Anyway, we'll get to that at the bottom of this hour. The latest update on this Jennifer Dulo story out of Connecticut is pretty crazy. Uh, the, the dad went for a jog. Or the ex-husband, I guess. Went for a jog wearing his ankle bracelet. Uh, his ankle monitor. Um, and then in the 11 o'clock hour, I don't know if you got it. I suppose they didn't send it out. But uh, the open letter on behalf of Eric Garcetti to the to Angelinos, all Angelinos, about homelessness. We'll talk about that in the 11 o'clock hour. But we start with what appears more and more to be a random double murder, really, all, nearly. I mean, we're talking about a deputy that is in grave condition right now. This appears to be somebody who is dealing with schizophrenia or opioid abuse or both that walked into that jack-in-the-box, lingered for a little bit on Monday night, and then walked up to this off-duty deputy and shot him in the back of the head. We found out that it is 50-year-old Joe Solano, and he is, is in grave condition and on life support. Yesterday, they held a news conference. Uh, and the detective captain, I believe it is, uh, Kent Wegner, described how it is that they found 30-year-old Rhett McKenzie Nelson uh, and picked him up for this murder. Shortly after 10 a.m. this morning, the suspect went into a church in the city of Long Beach on Clark Avenue. 
from that church he called his father in St. George, Utah. During that call, he referred to committing murder in Southern California, obviously concerning his father. The father called Long Beach Police Department to report what his son had told him. Long Beach did a reverse directory on the phone number provided by the father and responded to that church. Shortly after arriving, the suspect was seen driving from the church, and Long Beach rec officers recognized that the vehicle, which is a 2012 Kia Sorento, pictured to my left, matched the description of the vehicle used by the suspect immediately after our deputy was shot. Then they went, on, went ahead and picked him up. He's been charged with murder, being held on $2 million bail. They the, think that he shot and killed a guy downtown not far away from, from where the, um, the, the jack-in-the-box was, that it was a, a drive-by type shooting. Yeah, and they, there's, he was standing, the victim in that case was a man in his 30s, shot and killed while standing outside a building in the 1900 block of East 7th, pronounced dead at the scene. He hasn't yet been identified, but uh, LAPD Chief Mike Moore was at that same news conference and described the, the basic situation of that, that this suspect's description, the clothes that he was wearing, that, uh, that white Kia Sorento, that they were, in fact, uh, matched the description from witnesses who saw that first shooting. That one happened just about uh, 10 minutes to 5 on Monday, and then the deputy was shot in that jack-in-the-box, they said, at about 5.30. His family describes him as a runaway, this 30-year-old shooter. They put out a statement... Uh, his father did, Bradley Nelson. My wife, Jean, and I, along with our family, are saddened beyond words to hear of the shooting of Los Angeles Sheriff's Deputy Joseph Solano and to learn that our son, Rhett, is being held in connection with this. They had reported him missing, and, and the family filed a missing persons report. And again, they said that he has had struggles with opioids and, and possible mental illness. Um, oddly, I went into the investigative mode this morning, and... His father is a doctor. This Bradley Nelson is Dr. Bradley Nelson, goes by Dr. Brad. He's an author. He's a psychologist. He wrote a book called The Emotion Code, How to Release Your Trapped Emotions for Abundant Health, Love, and Happiness. Wow. The statement I read from uh, the family was <clears throat> described this, guy, this kid, this Rhett McKenzie Nelson, as, like you said, having emotional problems, but that I guess in the phone call that he made, that the dad made to Long Beach yesterday, he said that there had not been an actual diagnosis. There wasn't a specific label that they were putting on this uh, their their son's struggles at this point, but that he postulated it could have been any number of things. Well, dad's well versed yeah. on, which is weird because if if he's well versed in that in that world, then he should know. Well, at least a, a diagnosis. But what are you going to do? Your son's, even if you're a psychologist, you know that your kid is schizophrenic or he's showing signs of it and he is uh, abusing opioids, but he's 30 years old. What do you do? You know, you could 5150 him, I guess, maybe. But then what? What happens after those three uh, days are over? Yeah. I don't know. Well, your hands are kind of tied. Uh, this, this, uh, this incident brought something to light last night that that made me very mad. And my wife was a, a little bit taken aback that I was as mad as I was about a sidelight to this story. There's somebody who posted a, a posted an Instagram post picture. Sure. Of 
whatever, long night at work kind of thing. And then referenced Deputy Solano. Like, but, but praying for, for Deputy Solano and the full recovery, et cetera, et cetera. Don't make it about yourself. This, this is a problem with situations like this. It's a problem with social media and tragedy. Because social media makes, I think, all of us a little bit narcissistic. And you're more likely to talk about yourself. I'm doing this. This is what's going on with me. Me, 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 me. Here's a picture of me. Uh, And when you start commenting on a tragedy, on an ongoing tragedy, and you make it about you, you got to take a step back. And there's... there's a million examples of these every time there's a shooting, every time there's a fire, every time there's an earthquake, there's a natural disaster, there's a tornado. People make it about them. Well, anyway, we'll talk about this when we come back. You know You're me? getting mad. Well, I'm letting I see out my your face. You, you can't see my face. I see your face. Gary and Shannon. All right, coming up in Swamp Watch today at 1230, Joe Biden and the president go after each other. And the president also does not like polls. There was a new poll that came out from Quinnipiniac that said that uh, Biden would win in a landslide. I think it was like 53 percent to 40 percent or something like that, which, you know, you got to take the the president's kind of right. Right. You got to take these polls not too seriously because they were all wrong in 2016. I thought about that. And just in the whole context of that, I was thinking about it this morning. You, he's 100% right. You cannot – You, we've been burned by them before. And this is like uh, being spurned by a, a, somebody that you're in a relationship with. You can't necessarily trust them right away. They're going to have to earn your trust back. And this is, uh, this is sort of still in that process now. Um. Okay, we were talking about the grave condition that 50-year-old L.A. County Sheriff's Deputy Joe Solano is in right now. He was the off-duty deputy who was shot, it appears, randomly uh, in the head at that jack-in-the-box in Alhambra on Monday night. And he's been at County USC since then uh, in grave condition, like I said. And I was I was irate last night. Somebody had posted something on Instagram that basically made the tragedy about themselves. And it was, it was, I guess, an attempt to be, I don't know what the word would be, morose. It it was an attempt to be solemn is a good word. But at the same time... It was a selfie. It was a selfie, but that it mentioned Deputy Solano. And I got so mad at that. There have been so many examples. If you just look back in our last six or eight months in our history, and I mean us here in L.A. and in the world, the biggest biggest thing that I could think of most recently was the Notre Dame fire. No, sorry, Notre Dame fire, where people started posting pictures of themselves out in front of Notre Dame, which I get because you have a connection to that place. And you say, Oh my gosh, I was just there three weeks ago, or I 
I I am so you know heartbroken over this whole yeah, thing. Yeah, because when you went in, you felt this this peace, this calming, and it, it meant something to you. You remember that. So I did understand the pictures that people posted of that. Yeah, and there's there's something to be said about there. That's there is a an legit em- personal connection, and it's an emotional outlet for you. Yeah, it's a way sure. for you to say, "Oh, I do also have a connection to this," or "I was there," and. I'm trying to think of some other examples. And then there's people examples. that go on Twitter when there was that uh, there was a school shooting uh, not that long ago, and somebody went on Twitter and said, I, I believe it was at Santa Rosa High or something. Yes, and somebody goes right. on Twitter and they said, "Oh, my kids went to Santa Rosa High, but the one in Florida yeah, several but- years ago, and my heart just hurts thinking about this." It's like, come on now. That's a you got to make this about you. This is there's so much more about if you wanted to make this about Deputy Solano or whatever. I mean, you post his picture. You post his picture. You you talk about what what good things. Deputy Solano is known for in the department. You talk about like like Sheriff Vinueva came out and yesterday talked about uh, Deputy Solano's history. He's a local kid. He's been known around the department as being a good guy. He was and taking his and, mom's car to the Jiffy right. Lube, waiting for his food. He That's was taking care I, of his mom. That, if you want to be involved Ill. in it and you want to pay some sort of a tribute to Deputy Solano, that's how you do it. You you talk about him, not you. I have a, I have a neighbor who was at the Borderline Bar and Grill the night of the shooting. And it would have been one of those things for me to come on and say, oh, my gosh, this tragedy hit so close to home because I know somebody who knew somebody who was there. And I had said hello to that person before. That, that's, the weird, that's the weirdest thing to me, that there is this desire to be, oh... And then I don't know what comes out of that. If I were to say that to you or post it on Instagram or something, then do I say to you, oh, my gosh, are are you looking to – am I asking you to say to me is what I'm trying to say. Oh, you must be so heartbroken over what happened. Well, I am heartbroken over what happened. I mean, these are tragedies. That's why they call them that is because they're heartbreaking. But I'm not expecting you to then care for me necessarily because of my weird tangential connection to this. I just want I uh, I don't know. It's a it's strange to me this desire for people to to insert themselves into these tragic times for attention so that they can get attention when they don't need it. You don't need it. There was a there's a bunch of different things. I I looked this up this morning. There's a bunch of different rules about social media and tragedy. They, the articles are more targeted towards the marketing mind, a brand. What, what does a brand do when something happens? And they use the example of the death of David Bowie as one of the things that people just keep in mind. Just keep in mind. Don't stretch to put yourself into a tragedy or a, you know, a dark time. Crocs. You know the shoes, the stupid shoes. Yeah, I had to wear one time and I hated it. And I still can't get over. It's almost a year ago now, and I still can't <laughs> get over it. Crocs, on the day that David Bowie died, Crocs put out a tweet that had a picture of a Croc, I mean a, a shoe, and said something like, "We're all heartbroken over the loss of David Bowie." Why would you? 
Why would, Why would you, you include a shoe in that? That's now, just another reason to hate Crocs. It's one thing. It's one thing if uh, Columbia Records, for example, or somebody in the industry, or somebody had some connection to David Bowie. Oh, this is you know, it's hitting us all really hard here at the office because of our great times or great memories or something like that. Because we're Columbia Records, not Crocs or T-Mobile or Ford. I mean. It's it's this it's this desire with that comes uh, with social media to insert yourself into things or places or arguments or relationships that don't exist because you want the attention to be you to be focused upon you. That's a sickness, man. That's not right. That is a sickness. I was so mad last night. So mad. I was saying bad words. You are. Oh yes. All right, coming up next, we'll get an update on the missing mom out of Connecticut. Uh, Also, uh, update on the Dominican Republic. We've got another body. We've got another tourist dead in the Dominican Republic. That number keeps rising, and it's not good for all the tourist money that they hope to bring in and that they had been bringing in. Gary and Shanna will continue in just a moment. What are you doing Friday? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> I'm going to be in Huntington Beach at News and Brews at HQ Gastropub, uh, shoving a burger in my mouth. That is going to be <laughs> that's going to be a scene. We are going to be live for our next News and Brews, 10 a.m. until 2 p.m. at HQ Gastropub there in Huntington Beach, Fifth and PCA. I can't promise I won't eat it like an orphan. Well, no, I'll tell you this. What we'll do is we will we'll have. I think Dana is going to be there, right? We'll have yeah. Dana. Hold the plate for you or at least take it away from you after like two bites. Because you don't have to eat it like it's going out of business. Uh, you don't have to eat it like you're going to then Here's my, here's why I never eat. eat for the rest here's of the weekend. Here's why I eat like an orphan. It's because I wait too long and then I'm really hungry and I need all of it at once. <laughs> I'm laughing because you said like an orphan, but the first time you said it... <laughs> I thought you said eat an orphan. That doesn't well, make any gets, sense. She gets hungry. I enough, know. I... That's why I looked at you the way that I did. Uh, all right. Are you okay? No. <sighs> this Friday, News and Brews, HQ Gastro Pub, 5th and PCH there in Huntington Beach. For information, you can go to KFIAM640.com right there on the Gary and Shannon. Okay. couple of updates for you, which yes. is why we rolled out the update desk. The missing mom, Jennifer Dulos, we told you about the husband that they've got for obstruction of justice, uh, as well as his girlfriend. They probably think that they had something to do with her disappearance. They were in a contentious court battle over their divorce, over custody of their five children. They were seen on surveillance video taking 30 bags of garbage out to a dumpster across town post her disappearance. So they've got their eye on this couple. Um he posted bond 
$500,000 bail and wearing a T-shirt, shorts, a baseball cap, and headphones was seen by reporters on a jog. Going for a jog. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess being holed up in the joint for uh, for a week and a half is probably going to prevent you from working out too much. But, yeah. I mean, bail is relatively low. He hasn't been charged with her murder, he and the girlfriend. He's been charged with tampering with evidence and hindering prosecution so far. Because, like we've said before, they don't have a body yet. And now there is a concern that they're whatever was left of Jennifer after whatever happened to her is now gone or at least irretrievable because of the way the garbage system works in that part of Connecticut where they'd go and basically shred the garbage. And if that's the case, they're going to have a very hard time coming up with any sort of physical evidence in here. But quite the show for the reporters gathered outside that $4.3 million mansion where the family lived. Yeah. Uh, Another update for you out of the Dominican Republic, Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank. Her brother was found dead in his hotel room in the Dominican Republic. And the circumstances, according to TMZ, sound eerily familiar to the other six mysterious tourist deaths in the country. Barbara says her brother was in the DR with a friend in April on his yearly vacation when he died of a heart attack. There's been no autopsy, and and that's what she was told, that he died of a heart attack. Uh, She says her brother's friend, who was staying in the same suite, discovered the body, but nobody knows what happens. The brother, uh, John, was retired. He owned a successful roofing company in New Jersey. They say that uh, he loved visiting the Dominican Republic and was awaiting the arrival of his girlfriend before he died. Yeah, this is going to be an interesting um, look into a couple of things. Number one, how many people die in the Dominican in these uh, high-end resorts? And number two, how many Americans die on vacation, period, in a, in a year? Because, like we said, I think they the Dominican says that there are 7 million visitors annually, 7 million tourists, and the majority of those come from the United States for their vacations. And so even if you had three and a half or four million Americans every year going to the Dominican, just by sheer percentages, you're going to have a number of them who just happen to die. Sure. Um, And they're all going to I shouldn't say all the vast majority of them are going to be in resorts when they're staying there. It's like horse racing deaths. Okay, I'm listening. Well, because the media is overcovering all of them, it oh, sounds like it's very odd yeah. and rare in the whole bit. Well, and we've been making a lot out of the fact, oh, well, they were in their hotel room. Oh, and they drank from the mini bar. Everybody drinks from the mini bar right. on vacation. Those are common things anyway. Some if, resorts, even, it's uh, it's free. Yeah. So, so it's if those things were poisoned in their mini bars and they somehow are able to figure that out, that's when we're going to start to see some uh, significant problems there. Yeah. All right. Uh, We had to shorten this one, but we're going to do a quick What You Watching Wednesday when we come back. Some of the great TV shows that we've been keeping our eyes on recently. Gary and Shannon will continue. Gary and Shannon. Police in Denver are testing the idea of having civilian teams respond to some 911 calls. We'll dig into that at 120. Hey, did you know Gavin Newsom is a big horse racing fan? No. Well, he's a big fan of horses who race. 
And he says, hey, you guys better start doing the things that you're already doing. He put out a very weird statement about Santa Anita. And uh, kind of got caught up in the fact that he has no idea what he's talking about. So we'll, we'll talk about that. That's the thing that bothered me about it. It yeah. was like, could you take five minutes to learn what you're about to issue a statement on? And he's the governor. You can call the commission, right? You right. can call the horse racing commission and go, hey, just a quick question. Before I hit send on this tweet, just answer me one thing. Do they have vets that check out the horses? Uh, yes, Mr. Governor, they do. Okay, well, I'm going to change my tweet then. I'll, I'll think of something else clever to say. Show people that I'm on top of things. It's time for What You Watching Wednesday. The following program is brought to you in living color. What you watching in there? Americans love television. They wean their kids on it. USA television much better. You've been watching too many of those live television shows. So I was into season six of Game of Thrones, and I had to stop watching it. Why? It got a little depressing. I found myself getting a little depressed. It's so dark. There's no levity. There's no light moments. Not a lot of happiness. Only happiness comes from from the the, from death. the little person. <laughs> the little person? Yeah. Tyrion. Tyrion. He's Tyrion funny. We... He drinks and he knows things. He has a name. Peter Dinklage. Thought I saw him, by the way. Thought I saw him on Saturday. It was not him. They don't all look alike. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. I mean, it was the guy with the he because he had kind of longer hair as well. The guy that I saw, uh-huh. and I uh, went home and told my wife she was very happy. But it wasn't. It was not Peter Dinklage. There is. Uh, we have a big congratulations to tell to say. By the way, did somebody uh, else get engaged? No. Oh, because Nick and Blake got engaged within a couple weeks of each other. It felt like <laughs> yeah. I'm the only one left. <laughs> That's all right, Monica. It's just uh, something about this show. I yeah. would say to you the same thing I would say to my daughter, and that's uh, keep your standards high. Aw, Gary. Don't, don't settle. Know your worth. Uh, no, uh, congratulations, John Michael Higgins, fan and friend of our show, who is now, uh, they just syndicated America Says, the, the game show that he's oh, been that's doing for great. Game Show Network. That's great. Good um, for him. They're teaming up for a syndicated launch of America Says sometime this fall. They said it has cleared in uh, 85% of the country going to be a fantastic deal for him which means someone's getting paid and he'll probably never come back to the gary and shannon show so but congratulations to him we feel like we helped a little bit we've met his mother that's i mean true. he is a true <laughs> friend of the show when we meet your mom that's when uh that's when the magic happens uh, tell me what's this life on the city or life in the tales city? of tales the city of it's of all city. about uh olympia dukakis am i getting that right sounds right she plays um, Anna Madrigal, and it's this woman who runs this home in San Francisco on Barbary Lane. And the original series, I believe, came out in the early 90s. And it's about all of the people who live in this home with this older woman who's kind of like the, uh, you know, the, the, the sage, always there for advice and always there to not judge any of the much younger people and what they're going through in their life. And this iteration of it really does iron out a lot of 2019 questions that I had in terms of what you call the gender bread person about how people are identifying oh, and yeah. sexuality and what does it mean to be 
queer and all of that. It lays it out, and I found it to be a really good tutorial. You mean for you to be living in your cisgendered, privileged life, yes. you get to at least have some questions answered. Yeah, and, and it's great to see Laura Linney in her role again, the same role, and and all of the uh, the actors that came back that were in the original iteration and how their storylines develop. It's so good. It's like a warm blanket if you liked the first version. It's just, it's a nostalgia. And then this is on Netflix, right? It's a Netflix yes. product. Now, I haven't, I don't think I've ever heard of either one of those, the new one or the old one. Um, I hadn't heard of the old one when I started watching the reboot. I just thought it was, you know, a good show on Netflix to watch. And then you they start mentioning, uh, you know, the 90s and all this stuff. And then I started looking on IMDb and I said, wow, I there it's very rare for the entire cast to come back. On yeah, a reboot if, like that. Uh, but I wonder if Netflix is throwing money around left and right so that oh, they can I'm do sure. something like that. Oh, Netflix. The show's yeah. about to start. Did, did, everyone a get, my way. did everyone just get a <laughs> shot of uh, dopamine? We talked last week about... <laughs> is it um, Friday? ...about when they see us, the documentary by Ava DuVernay about the Central Park Five. Oh, yeah. Linda Fairstein was the prosecutor who oversaw that sex crimes unit, was really the sort of the bad one, the the antagonist in this whole show, played by Felicity Huffman. And the real Linda Fairstein says that in a statement she wrote in an op-ed piece yesterday, the film attempts to portray me as an overzealous prosecutor and a bigot, the police as incompetent or worse, and the five suspects as innocent of all charges against them. And she says none of this is true. Now, I don't know how <laughs> Linda Fairstein can write that with the knowledge that somebody admitted to the crime and his DNA was at the scene and on the body. So like on the show, she doubled down. <laughs> yes. And and the idea that for some reason that these five young kids at the time, that these five young kids should have still been in jail, that that makes no sense to me. She it's, should just go away. Yeah, stop talking yeah. about it. What are you doing? The only she's thing you're doing everything. is... everything. Yeah, well... But, but she's making it worse for herself by coming out uh, and trying to try this in the court of public opinion. Her book publisher dropped her a couple yeah. of days ago as well. Yeah. Uh, HBO has a show... That I've been watching, and it's called uh, it's called Crashing, so the American series. There is a Crashing British series where I guess a bunch of people are in a hospital. It's like Friends, I guess, but British. Um, crashing, <laughs> the American comedy series, was created by stand-up comedian named Pete Holmes, and it's sort of uh, auto, semi-autobiographical in terms of his uh, start out as a young comedian, all of the just horrible clubs that he'd have to play and the bad jokes that he'd have to tell and you know it broke up his marriage as a result of that's a hard road it's unbelievable and they do um, since i'm watching it on demand at the end of the show at the end of each episode they do a minute or two of a discussion with pete holmes about what specifically about that episode you know was stood out and he would say things like i mean in the two or three episodes that we watched last night twice he said Every stand-up comedian knows, at least the ones that have some amount of success, names that you would recognize, they'll tell you, you're going to have five or ten years of not just living hand-to-mouth, but living out of your car and 
paying to do an open mic night. Is that and... why you got out of stand-up no, comedy? because I wasn't any good at it. You were good. Well, I went to so see st- you. Thank you for oh, saying that. Do, it, do, do one more show that. so I can see. You know, you really were good. I thought it was going to be a thing for you. No. Um, but it's also a lot of work. And you got Oh, we're shying it. away from work no, now. No, 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 no. It's just you gotta love it. But <laughs> he, gap. he does say he does say one thing in there that that makes perfect sense for stand-up comedians. When you kill it, when you do a set and if it's ten minutes, yeah. twenty minutes, forty minutes, and you kill it, and you know you kill it, and the room is just raucous, it's a high that is indescribable. And that's why people keep coming back to, to it. To get that high. To get that high again. Get that hit. Yeah. It's why don't like, you and Justin Worsham should tag team a comedy night? Oh, I've got a story about that when we come oh, back. boy. To Gary and Shannon. <laughs> yeah, Gary and Shannon, I just saw that the travel guide company, Foders, they have put out uh, travel awards this year, inaugural travel awards, and they ranked Hollywood Burbank Airport, Bob Hope Airport, as the best in the country. Oh, yes. And LAX the worst. Shout out to Gene and Terminal One. Uh, Seriously? Hands down, that is exactly how I feel. Except for Denver, in my opinion, is worse than LAX. Denver's oh, Denver's airport is 45 minutes out of Denver. It's a, a, a mess. It takes forever and five people movers to get to the the terminals. And that horse is really and that scary. Hor- the horse you know with that, the red eyes. The horse. Did yeah. you know that yeah. that horse killed? Yeah. The sculptor of the horse. Yeah. It fell on him yep. when he was putting it together. And the weird murals in there. The mural. The racist murals. Yeah. With the guns. Yeah. It's a weird place. It is a weird place. And it's there's this whole conspiracy theory that, like, the government has, like, dug caves underneath it. Mm. <laughs> in Denver. I Are mean, there if reptile you want, men in there? Yeah. Oh, man. If you want to go down a fun conspiracy theory hole, uh, Google the Denver airport. Uh, we just watched a few minutes ago. There was an F-35 flyover at the White House. The president is there with uh, Polish President Duda to... Among other things, talk about the defense pact that we just signed with the, with Poland and the fact that they bought a few dozen F-35s. So um, the news conference between both presidents is expected here in a few minutes. And keep an eye on it, see if anything happens. But Well, the mayor, uh, Mayor Eric Garcetti, has written an open letter to Angelinos about homelessness, mm. taking full responsibility yeah. He essentially likens the homeless problem to earthquakes. Well, he does say that after the 1906 earthquake in San Francisco, 200,000 people became homeless overnight because of the earthquake and the fire. And he says right now, California has about 130,000 homeless people making our current homelessness crisis the second worst disaster we've ever seen in the Golden State. It's an interesting way to look at it. 
I have a couple of questions about all of this. I read through this letter, and and it still seems like even if he is the guy who is going to take responsibility for this, if if he's the guy who is going to say that the response to this crisis falls squarely on my shoulders, he's got to figure out a better way to go about doing this because it still seems like he's his view of the problem of homelessness in, in California, specifically in Southern California, and, and even more specifically, right outside his damn office window. He can't say things like, I am heartbroken and impatient. And then turn around and write a three-page letter to the great Angelinos of our city. That, my, that, is, that is BS. My problem with it is this line, we must respond like it's an earthquake. He references a San Francisco earthquake in 1906. He references Northridge. Um, our homelessness problem is not like an earthquake because earthquakes happen out of nowhere. There's no warning. The warning has been the past decade. The... The enabling of allowing people to sleep and defecate on the streets is the, the, the writing's on the wall. Right. If you let people build makeshift homes on the street and then let that street expand to a, a street after street after street after street and you're down with having them uh, defecate on the streets and the whole thing and you're even giving buckets – then you're going to get more and more and more people. Yeah, because- if you say a behavior's okay, there's one thing about mental illness and homeless problem, and there's, there's going to be homeless people everywhere. But why do we have the most here in Los Angeles? Because we enable repeatedly. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Well- just giving hands out to, you know, he talks about the amount of money that is going into the problem. Um, we've increased our homelessness budget to more than $460 million for housing and services. 25 times what it was four years ago. And yet, look at what's happened. We've gone backwards. It's gotten worse. The homelessness problem has gotten worse. Well, there's a couple of things. Number one, it's clear that the more services you offer, the more the more people are going to come here. Right. Because they know they can live feral on the street and people are going to give and bring them things. But but to your point about earthquakes happen suddenly and can make 100,000, 200,000 people be homeless, he does admit, and this is reading again from the letter that Eric Garcetti wrote to all fellow Angelinos about homelessness. He says, it's a product of decades of failures, which is true. Yes. It's true. But listen to which failures he thinks uh, contribute to this. Bad decisions aren't just made, they accumulate. Decades of disinvestment and poor urban planning have uh, conspired to limit our supply of affordable housing, reduce mental health services, lower the quality of education, gut our middle class, allow addiction to take hold in too many lives. Listen, don't forget, don't forget that the decades of failures include those policies which have told people living feral on the street is is an option. Right. It's not an option. It should never have been an option. We are not a third world country unless you are on skid grid. Then we are clearly a third world country. What are you going to do? How is your behavior going to change if you're living on the street and people are bringing you things? How is your addiction going to How is your addiction? If someone's bringing you clean needles all the time. I, I understand the argument of health 
the, the trying to stop the spread of bloodborne diseases by giving clean needles, offering clean needles, but you're ignoring things uh, that that have contributed to this, and no one has come up with a true, uh, a good way to show numbers of the thirty-six thousand homeless people in L.A. City, L.A. City, thirty-six thousand. How many of them are out there because they choose to be out? They don't want to live under the man's thumb. They don't. They're not necessarily addicted, but they could be. But their biggest issue is just their attitude. They just don't. They don't want to live the way that society tells them to live. I was up at uh, Oakland Airport. Was it Oakland Airport? I think it was. Yeah, and I saw one of those needle receptacles uh, in the bathroom. Yeah, and uh, I'm thinking, you know. We don't do this with other addictions. Like, we don't have, you know, um, like uh, receptacles for uh, vodka bottles. Well, a recycling bin. But it doesn't say recycle your alcohol You know what I mean? Like, like if if you have an addiction and you're seeing things enable your addiction, you're not going to put down that needle. Why would you? Because what we're doing is we're normalizing all this. Like, oh, I'm going to crap in the street and that's normal. That's fine. Here, we're going to, in San Francisco, we're going to hire five people to clean up your crap, like a dedicated crap crew to wander the streets and clean up the human feces. Again, that's enabling that behavior. If you're saying, listen, you can't live on our street. We're we're going okay. It's not criminalizing the poor. It's just simply cleaning up the damn bad behavior in a lot of situations. He does say the first job to ending the crisis is building housing. If if you're able to identify the problems that have put the people on the streets, whether it's their their mental attitude, which I think is the minority, but the mental attitude that they don't want to live there. There's a problem with mental illness. There's a problem with addiction. Those are probably two of the larger categories of why people are on the streets. If you can identify those things. And you can find appropriate places to put them where they're going to get treatment. They're going to get the therapy that they need, whatever it is. Then, yes, housing is necessary. You've got to have a place to literally put them. That's the definition of homelessness. To end homelessness is to put them in a yeah, home. Yeah, but then what happens if you're giving out affordable housing? Doesn't that attract more people? Yes, that's the thing is that there's there's the no word spreads. <laughs> there's And it has clearly because the more money we continue to dump into this thing, we're, it's bad money after bad money, it appears, because the problem's only getting bigger. If I'm drinking vodka all day and, and taking opiates or whatever, and I want to live on the street because that's where that kind of behavior gets me, and I know that Los Angeles is throwing money at this, at this I'm absolutely going to go there. And they're giving you a little case of those little bottles of vodka just every day just to keep you, you know, happy. We don't want to hurt your feelings. Witches when we come back to the Gary and Oh, yeah. Witches. Working, there are working witches of Los Angeles. It's a good thing. They're not homeless. Well. Well, I guess it's unclear. It we don't know. Gary and Shannon. Friday. Friday, our news and brews coming up June 14th. HQ Gastro Pub in Huntington Beach there at 5th and PCH. We'd love to have you come on out, have a beer, have some lunch, whatever you choose. Again, doing the show live from 10 a.m. until 2 p.m. at HQ Gastro Pub in Huntington Beach on Friday. Uh, information at KFIAM640.com, the Gary and Shannon page. 
Well, Los Angeles is truly a melting pot of self-care and uh, lifestyle options, is it not? Have you ever heard of the Oracle? Self-care? No. The Oracle is a woman by the name of Amanda Garcia, but she goes by the Oracle. Okay. She's a former arts educator, master of fine arts and writing film and critical theory from the California Institute of the Arts. I'm not going to judge, but it's tough to make a living with a Master of Fine Arts degree. I got to tell you, there's uh, if you go to that Vons that's uh, right across the freeway from Cal Arts, you get to see a lot of characters. A lot of characters. For the past eight years, Amanda, or the Oracle, has made her living as a professional witch. She performs energetic healings, intuitive empowerment sessions, and an occasional exorcism. She teaches workshops on the art of magic online at her home, at independent stores, and at uh, the Getty. Now, the working witches of today could probably use a little PR nudge in the right direction. I feel like just the term brings with it a lot of baggage. They are healers. Right. These modern witches. They help clients who are struggling to deal with, you know, life. Heartache, aging, misogyny, work stress. I'm sorry, did you say misogyny? That is one of life's hurdles, according to the LA Times. Well, you would know I wouldn't. Um, I have always tried not to focus on that. Because I feel like what you focus on, you get more out of. Mm-hmm. So I just gloss over any of that that has occurred to me in my life. Now, the uh, the, the the healing that goes into this, uh, there's a comedian and writer who started seeing the Oracle a few months ago, several months ago, and said that these sessions feel like part therapy, part religious ritual. She would say she's doing spiritual coaching. You can go see her the way you might... Go see a rabbi or a pastor. There was a survey done in 2017 from the Pew Research Center that wanted to dig into how Americans feel about New Age beliefs. They found that 40 percent believe in psychics and 40 percent believe that inanimate objects like mountains and trees are in line with spiritual energy. It found 33 percent of Americans believe in reincarnation. Twenty nine percent believe in astrology. And 60% say they hold at least one of these new age beliefs. My mom went to a psychic. My parents both went to a psychic for a number of years. What for? Uh, Just to hear about past lives and how those affect your current life and how people were related to you in past lives. I went to a psychic before I took this job. And what did the psychic tell you about this job? Well, I didn't tell that I had an offer. Oh. And she said, your life is going to change in a few months. And I was like, You're going to meet two of the greatest people you have ever met. Wow. Yeah. Way to make it about you. See, that's what people do. (laughs) I'm going to write a social media post about how Monica moved here, but it was all about us. It's the reason why I moved here. Lucky you. That's what I'll say. Do you believe in any new age things? Like what? Like any of the things I mentioned? No. No. Here's the thing. If you you believe that placing crystals over your front door will bring you good luck, I am not going to try to argue out of that. 
if you believe that going to see the Oracle for your spiritual therapy helps you in your self-confidence, in your dealing with misogyny and ageism, I am not going to argue out of it. Let me ask you this, though. How do you explain the fact that I flinch every time you motion towards me? Were you like, abused? That's the thing. She thinks that I, I, I don't do that. past life, <laughs> I do. abused her. I do. Because I don't do that with any other person, any other man, and I never flinch. But Gary will just make a motion. I'll lean me, over there, and I and I jump. To like open feet. the file cabinet that's sitting next to her to yeah. pull the wipes out, and yeah. she'll freak out. Right, and it's so weird because Gary is one of the nicest in this life. Yeah. Oh boy, when we wow. come back, Gavin Newsom on horse racing. This is going to be a good one. Feels good to be running from the devil. Another breath. Have you ever eaten in Chicago? That's why it cracked. I mean, it's impossible not to eat every single thing. Wait, was my mic on for the first part? No. Oh, I like to just continue conversations. Uh, Yeah, Monica was telling us that uh, one of the sky decks in this super tall building there in Chicago. Yeah, the Willis Tower. You walk out on this... It's a little box, glass box, basically. So you're hanging out Ugh. 70 stories over the city or whatever it is. The glass spider webbed underneath someone's feet. Could you imagine that when you're sitting there oh. and then you're just looking down? No, and that's why I don't go to those crack, things. Crack, 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 That's crack. my nightmare. Yeah. I actually feared that would happen when I went down the sky slide at the L.A. observation deck where you guys <laughs> had that party last year. Sky space. Yeah. Yes. I thought I was going to crack the slide. Why? I don't know. It's just a fear. It's a glass slide on the side of a building. (laughs) Scary. Um, The presidents of Poland and the United States are speaking right now outside the uh, White House. And uh, President Andrzej Duda of Poland is the one who's got the the microphone. So we're keeping an ear on that to see if uh, President Trump says anything. And Swamp Watch will talk more about uh, the polling that came out that said that he would trail or is trailing Joe Biden in a, a nationwide poll. I think it was about 53 to 41 percent. He came out and said that those are fake polls. There was also a story about his internal polling we talked about yesterday in Swamp Watch that the campaign says he is behind in several very important states. But uh, we'll get his reaction to that coming up a little bit later. Well, I saw this alert on Twitter that the governor has called for a moratorium on horse racing at Santa Anita. And I thought, what? And I looked in the statement and he said, I'm calling from the California Horse Racing Board to ensure that no horse races until they are examined by independent veterinarians and found fit to compete. Ah, that's a brilliant move, Governor Gavin. That's been going on since the beginning of horse racing. Yes. In fact, they are examined multiple times right up until they are loaded into that gate by independent state veterinarians. Couldn't he make a phone call? Couldn't he have one conversation with how the protocol works at the horse races before yeah. he opened his his Or listen, even if, even if Gavin might be busy, he could have had his first partner do it or one of the first Oh, sure. Kids. She's or the seven people under her in her right. office. Any one of them could have gotten on the phone with the California Horse Racing Board and simply asked the question... What happens to these horses, and are they checked out by veterinarians before they race? Now, the Deputy Communications Director for Business Consumer Services and Housing Agency, which oversees the uh, horse racing board, the state's horse racing board, said 
vets will be doing more. And at some point today, they say they're going to unveil what it is that those hor- the veterinarians will be doing with those horses. Um, so there's only uh, six racing days left. I was just going to say, and then the horses go down to Del Mar. And then they come back in the fall. I wonder. Listen, I know that this has been a, a particularly dangerous season year. What do you call it? Season for for sure. the horses at Santa Anita. And it was shut down for a time as they tried to figure out what, if anything, was particularly wrong with the track conditions, the care, the facilities, something like that. And they never found anything. They didn't find anything that was out of the ordinary. And the unfortunate uh, but very true aspect of this type of sport is the animals are expendable. It's not comfortable to say. It's probably not comfortable to think about. It's just well, they can't survive with these in, the types of injuries because of the way that they're built. Right, and therefore they're expendable. I don't like it, but it's it's one of those things. It's the nature of the sport. Now, does it does it have a future? I don't know. I I mean, you, you look at all kinds of different sports that in have, 2019. I you know I I liked. To see what they have done at Santa Anita since I decided to move there. Um, if you don't know the story, I lived on the west side, and then Conway invited me to the track one day, and I had such a great time, I moved you never went to back. the track. You never went back. I, I, I live within about five minutes. Well, what do you we mean? Go, that they... We go all the time. And the, in recent years, they have tried to do new things to bring in the millennials and bring wow. in more crowds and things like that. They've gone through... A, a bunch of they, you know, they they do beer events. They do um, different things to bring in more people. They and they're trying clearly to do they're in the out- middle of huge renovations. There, I mean, there's a lot right. of different or- spaces that they're trying to refurbish. They're doing uh, uh, outreach to teach people how to bet. You know, they put race it day ambassadors there. Ask me how to bet and things like that. Um, so they're trying to get more people involved, but it's, you, you go out there on a day when not much is happening and there's just not a lot of people. You just wonder how long that business will be sustained, especially now in the new, um, everyone is offended and everybody has a cause right. world that we live in. Um, is this, I've never been to a track on the East coast and I wonder it, it's always struck me as a much more East coast style sport really? than out here. And I don't know, I don't know why. I mean, because I grew up in the Bay Area like you did. We had Golden Gate Fields up there forever. Yeah. So it's it's not as if I haven't been around it or haven't heard of it. It's just it always struck me as a back east thing. That's a fun or, place or to a, go. A, a southern thing, right? Or a sure. southern thing, sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, the governor screwed that up. But, but there is supposed to be some sort of an announcement today in how it is that the horse racing board – is going to change the requirements for veterinarians and their uh, the inspections that they do on the animals before before they're found fit to compete. So we'll keep an eye on that. We Apparently, come my husband was forcing your wife to gamble when you guys were out there. Well, yeah, she gets forced into a lot of things. That this is not true. So. What do you mean forced her into gambling? Well, I guess he, he, she didn't want to gamble. She didn't want to bet on the horses. And he kept saying, uh, come on, just just bet. Just just $2. Maybe she, was she... Like, she was like, no, I'm good. And he was like, come on. And I guess that went on for a while. I would have loved to have seen that. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess he won this time. Um, when we come back, Star Wars has made Disneyland's lines disappear. This is a pretty spectacular 
uh, side spectacular effect. thing. And, and they're calling it the Olympics effect, the 84 Olympics effect. Oh, sure. No traffic. Yeah. We'll talk about that when we come back to Gary and Shannon. President Trump holding a, a news conference, joint news conference with President Andrzej Duda of Poland. One of the things that they had uh, just been asked about was the relationship, the United States relationship with North Korea. The president said things are going very well, as a matter of fact, since there has been no nuclear testing recently. 1230, we'll get into Swamp Watch and talk a little bit more about this news conference and also about that Oval Office news conference they held a couple of hours ago. Well, Star Wars at Disneyland has done something to the rest of Disneyland. As the OC Register writes it, the impossible is happening at (laughs) Disneyland. Well, listen, a lot of schools are out now, right? I would imagine the first couple, first few weeks of summer would be just loaded with people. Not the case. The lines, they say, are disappearing. That ever since Star Wars Galaxy's Edge opened to reservation holders, Disneyland has been experiencing some of the smallest lines it has seen on sunny days in years. Now, I have the Disneyland app here, and I've been watching the times this morning. For the longest time, what, what what's the longest line before uh, before Star Wars Galaxy's Edge opened up? What would you Matterhorn? say is the longest line Indiana in the resort? Jones. Oh. Indiana Jones. Yeah. Clearly one of the most popular, one of the best rides they have ever come up with. Yeah. Usually on a sunny summer day, you can expect to wait an hour and a half, sure. I would imagine, yeah. especially at the peak times. Yeah. Until about 10 minutes ago, it was listed as 25-minute wait. No. Right now, it's only at 50, a 50-minute wait. But still, I mean, we're talking, the park's been open for four hours now. Well, here's what I don't understand. The Star Wars land is still only reservation only, right? Yes. So are people just staying away from Disneyland until they can get into Star Wars land? Well, And I, so it's just fewer people going? The I, reservations are going till June 23rd. Right, so two weeks from now, basically. Uh, and I assume it's just because they knew everything was going to open up. It was publicized that obviously star Wars galaxy edge was going to, was going to open up at the end of May. People said, I can, I am not sitting through those lines. Right. But there's an, I mean, there's other aspects of this as well, because they're talking about how Disneyland's annual pass blockout calendar has had a greater effect uh, upon attendance at the resort. Um, they created separate blockout calendars for the two for the two parks for Disneyland Resort and for the for California Adventure, but even that, I mean, California Adventure has also some fantastic rides that you would usually wait for a long time, and they're talking about a thirty five minute wait right now for the Incredicoaster, which is not bad at all for a hot summer day like today. This is uh, this is pretty spectacular now. What happens when they do open without reservation? Uh, like you're saying, are people just waiting simply to uh, to when they will also have an opportunity to get in? There? I think there's probably a degree of uh, you know 
you know, you don't, most people don't go to Disneyland too many times a year. There are the people that go like every weekend or once a month or whatever like that. But I think um, there are probably more people that'll go maybe once a year. And if you're, you know about Star Wars World and you, that you'll be able to get in uh, in August or whatever or September, why would you spend the money in June when you can't go to Star Wars World if you don't have the reservations? Yeah, I'm. I don't know. This may be the perfect time to jump on down there if you want to go. You want to go? Sure. You don't seem like a Disneyland person. I'm not a Disneyland person. See, that was I could read through that. I enjoy it. Um, I, I'm not a big fan of you're not gonna, seas of humanity. You're not going to plunk down for a uh, season pass necessarily. You know, I don't uh, look for all the Easter eggs in the park and, oh, this goofy thing. Uh this goofy thing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was very strong. Are you a Disneyland person? I love it. I, I love it because I love taking uh, my kids there. But I yeah. agree with you. There can be times where humanity is just too much to take. And uh, that is a place when humanity gets thick. And as my wife likes to say, you have to walk through so many farts just to get onto the ride. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Hey, it's a price you got to pay. Wow. Um, speaking of, though, in terms of expansion, uh, Monica just mentioned this. Disney, uh, The city of Anaheim has approved a bunch of building permits for things like overhauling a bathroom, a retail outlet, microbrewery, character meet-and-greet areas, improvements to some behind-the-scenes buildings. Uh, for the Marvel Comics section of Disney's California Adventure, Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout, you know, took over the Twilight Zone uh, Hollywood Mansion, uh, Hollywood Hotel thing. The Tower of Terror is what I'm looking for. And the Bug's Life or A Bug's Life that was right next to that has been closed down for a year, I believe. And that's, you know, it says Stark Industries on the side. They're going to put all of the Marvel <laughs> stuff Do you see that in catch? There. Yeah, that's not bad. A beautiful catch. Um, but what they're going to do is not just rides. <laughs> They're making sure that they've got huge retail presence in there as well, which we see in the ga- in the Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, where you could drop either a couple hundred bucks on a lightsaber or twenty five grand on a real life size R two D two unit. So, please don't do that. I'm not. I'm not planning on it. Okay. I mean, I got a daughter who's got to go to college at some point. And I think that would probably a better be a better investment than a full fledged R two unit. But how cool would that it would be, be so in your awesome. house in the front room there? Uh, my dog would hate it. Coming. So I'd have to make a decision between the dog and the R two unit, or your wife and the R two. Well, that's part that goes into it. That's <laughs> part of the calculus. <laughs> all right, coming up next, we'll get you caught up with all things trending right here on Gary and Shannon. And I'm Kid started the same day that uh, Cody Bellinger started. Christian Arroyo. Okay. In San Francisco. Cody Bellinger's first game was in San Francisco. Okay. Same day as Christian Arroyo. Are we doing obscure baseball stats slash information? Yes. Can I also say something? I apologize for if I made anybody believe that Game 7 of the NHL Stanley Cup Finals was last night. 
I apo- we talked about it. We talked about Game 7 being so awesome and so incredible on the tail end of what we were talking about, the basketball game. I don't think you said it was last night. Well, somehow I, I convinced that. myself that it was last night. Well, that's so, because you're getting senile. Well, and then I went to the eye doctor yesterday. Age Is that has, an old person Yeah, thing? age has come for you. And then, and then I sat home and I had my pupils dilated so they could check my glaucoma, which I don't have. But, you know, it's a thing. Wait, hold then, on. Yeah. Stop, 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 stop. Go ahead. We are not going to start talking about ailments on this show. <laughs> no, right? no. I'm just explaining That's why. That's not going to be a thing. So I, I got home and my eyes were all fuzzy and I couldn't focus on anything. And I thought, this is <laughs> going to be a hard way to watch a hockey game if I can't keep track of where everything is. I need that old fox a comet thing on the, on the puck. And then uh, 5 o'clock rolls around <laughs> and... Uh, no hockey for you. No game seven. No game seven. So what did Grandpa oh. choose instead? Grandpa. I... I, I pulled up one of them little, uh, what do you call them things on your, uh, it's like a book, but it's uh, like, you know, folds open like this way instead of this way. And then I typey, typey stuff on there. You sound like Blake. <laughs> Thank you. What's happening? Uh, Sheriff's deputy continues to fight for his life. Deputy Joseph Solano, 13-year veteran with the department. It was Deputy Solano who was inside that jack-in-the-box when uh, this 30-year-old guy walked in and uh, loitered for a couple minutes and then decided to walk up to Deputy Solano and shoot him in the back of the head. Cops say that they also think he was responsible for a murder Close to that jack-in-the-box on 7th place, I believe it was, when he had some words with a a man who was standing uh, on the street. He whips out a gun and and shoots and kills that person as well. The reason they got him is apparently Rhett Nelson called his own father from a church in Long Beach yesterday morning to say that he had committed murder here in Southern California. His father, in a weird twist, who happens to be what appears to be a psychologist... And an author who put out a book about letting your emotions go for more emotional health. In the statement from the family, by the way, dad also said uh, they will provide law enforcement with all information they request concerning Rhett and his struggles. Because apparently he had a history of... Uh, potentially schizophrenia, but other mental issues, clearly, even though they may not have been diagnosed that way. And then also uh, the dad alluded to uh, struggles with drugs. So, Well, it looks like we told you earlier about Barbara Corcoran from the Shark Tank show. And she says her brother was on vacation in April in the Dominican Republic and he died there. And she was told it was a heart attack. But now all these stories are surfacing of people dying in the Dominican Republic after having a drink from the mini bars or what have you. Uh, there's a guy in Florida who said he got sick during a recent vacation in the Dominican Republic and he's telling people to avoid the country altogether. He said he got sick with stomach pain while swimming. He said, fire in the bottom of my stomach. Uh Excruciating You're not supposed to swim if you've got that, right? If you've got an active fire in the bottom of your stomach, I think is what the sign says. It may be translated differently around different parts of the world. He claimed that he has continued to lose weight. He's undergone tests to get to the bottom of his health woes. Uh, But I told my wife, we will never be going out of the country again. That's a little bit of an overreaction, but okay. 
Well, you do you. You like to travel, so that <laughs> would have been a deal you. breaker for you. <laughs> you could sit there in your hot fire belly. I'm going to go to Croatia. The House Judiciary Committee has unanimously authorized the 9-11 Victim Compensation Fund after John Stewart shamed publicly, very publicly, all of them. There were only four subcommittee members present for testimony from 9-11 first responders, and John Stewart rightly so pointed out point out that it was an embarrassment to the country for those who did not show up to that hearing. Uh, the Senate version of this bill does have bipartisan support, but they're saying it is short of a veto-proof majority, and the White House has yet to respond to requests for comment on whether or not the president supports the legislation. So even if the House panel passed this, uh, it doesn't mean it's a, it's a guarantee to happen in Congress. So there's this 20-year-old college student up in the Bay Area who used that Snapchat filter. Remember that Snapchat filter we talked about on the show, how you can change your gender with, made, the, with the filter? Made everybody uncomfortable when Chris Little came in. Yes. Yeah. And everyone thought Chris Little was hot. Right. As a woman. Well, uh, well not everyone. What do you mean? I didn't. You didn't? No. Okay. Well... Do you just feel badly about thinking that Chris Little was hot and that's why you're saying this? Yes. Okay. So this kid up there uses this filter to pose as an underage girl in an effort to catch sexual predators, a a Snapchat vigilante, as it were. He caught a guy hitting on this fake 16-year-old girl, and this guy happened to be a San Mateo police officer, a 40-year-old San Mateo police officer was pretty much catfished by this guy who set out to catch a child molester. Uh, How do you feel about that? Like, is it entrapment? How do I feel about it? Is it entrapment? How do you feel about it? If you went, listen, first of all, your rule about secondary locations is what? Don't do it. Okay, so he went, first of all, he went to a secondary location. They switched from Snapchat over to the Kick Messaging app, which everybody knows is a cancer on human communication. And Ethan said that Esther was actually 16. So he now tells the cop, actually, I'm not 19. I'm Actually, I'm not 19. I'm 16. Oh, because the you, cop can't goes, be, um, you can't be underage on, on um, the first app. On Snapchat? I don't know if you can or not. You can. No, he used no, you the can't. filter oh, right. to do that. Got but it. then they were on like... Uh, Kick. Kick the messaging app. N- no. What are you talking about? A different one. It's not It's not important. But when they first started communicating, the cop thought oh, she was 19. Tinder. That's what Tinder. I'm thinking of. Uh, and then they go to Kick. Davies asked her to switch to Snapchat, where they also discussed her being 16, chatted about engaging in sexual activity. The thing is, when that... When that little message comes up and it says, hey, did you know I'm 16? And the cop responds with, yeah. <laughs> Ew. That, yes. I got no problem with that. It's if he goes, what the hell? I thought you were night. Never mind. Don't ever contact me again. That's yeah. how it's supposed to end. That is how it's supposed to end. Um, Hunter Biden is in the news. He has uh, secretly married a South African woman. A divorcee who now lives in Los Angeles. Melissa Cohen is her name. Wait a minute. He, remember, he was married for a number of years and they got divorced. And then he started dating his late brother's widow. Yeah, Bo Biden, if you remember, was the one who died after a battle with brain cancer. And Hunter started 
dating Hallie Biden, the widow, and just a couple of months ago split from her and is now married to is now married to Melissa Cohen. That is a weird triangle. Do you know anybody who's ever done that? Yeah. I don't mean brother necessarily, um, you know, the brother's wife or the wife's husband or something like that. But Well, yeah, Shania Twain did that. No, I mean you know oh. somebody. I, I had a, a good friend that I worked with 25 years ago who's who was on a hunting trip, and they got into a car accident. And the guy, one of the guys died. My friend was hurt pretty seriously. He ended up dating and eventually marrying his best friend's wife. Wow. I mean, the best friend that died in the accident. I feel like it happens in the movies a lot. Yeah. All right. When we come back, uh, we're going to get into, uh, uh, we're going to try to undo my whiteness. Oh, right. With yoga. That's right. This is a yoga class in Seattle that is called Undoing Whiteness. And so we're going to put you in some poses and we'll post it on Instagram, too, to uh, undo all that that all you're that. dealing with. Got it. All that all privilege over there. Privilege. Mm-hmm. Gary and Shannon will continue in a moment. And so it Gary and Shannon. What's wrong? Swamp Watch at 1230. I don't know if I'm doing this one right. This is the one-legged king pigeon pose. Does that look right to you? Um, I only know the poses by their their names. Yeah, one-legged king like pigeon Savasana pose. or... Oh, you mean that you actually know the actual words. So if I tell you I'm doing the Supta Bada Konasana, what do you think I'm doing? That would be what the, the what tree pose. What does it look pose. like I'm doing right now? No, it's the reclining bound angle pose. Do you feel like the whiteness is leaving your body? I don't feel like the blood is rushing to my head. Well, why don't you put your left foot over over that that arm right there is and this, tell me Is this how, the cow face pose? No, cow face is... Cow face is like the legs are all... Right. No, it's it's like when you're on all fours. No, no, that's a different one. Cow face pose. Like, it's, look, and you're just... Trust me, I know these things. Laura Humph knows these things. Laura is a yoga teacher in Seattle. Hold on, I'm transitioning to an extended puppy pose. She has been a certified yoga teacher since 2004. And she has a new class called Undoing Whiteness. 90-minute workshops. She says, I do stand behind white people needing to talk to other white people on how to undo whiteness. She makes me want to do a corpse pose. (laughs) She says that this class incorporates meditation, yoga postures, and readings from a book called Witnessing Whiteness. That book is meant to help white people deal with discomfort around race-based conversations. Uh, Who wrote this? This is from the Seattle Times. So it includes a paragraph that says this. Started by five queer people of color, the class which operated controversy-free the previous five years was intended as a safe space for people of color to practice yoga. 
ever been in a yoga studio where that didn't feel like there was a safe space? No, the whole idea about yoga is not feeling um, white guilt or any guilt at all, really. It's like uh, it's a place where you just kind of clear your mind and you don't dive into a dissertation that you would go to at a, on a college campus. Like the whole idea of yoga is... Listen, I'm not going to tell you what the whole idea of yoga is. I go to Core Power uh, Yoga once a week. I'm not a devotee. So do you do the locust pose? Maybe. I have no idea. I just do what they tell me. Laura says that she was, the reason that she wanted to do this was that she was seeing white people show up in yoga spaces in racist ways. They were showing up. In, how is that in racist like ways. how what does that mean her experience included witnessing white yoga instructors making racially charged jokes like what i've never heard a yoga instructor make a joke of any kind she let would, alone a racial joke listen to this she would say all lives matter in yoga so why see color exactly no, no, that's what she's saying was people showing up in racist ways. Oh. By saying all lives matter, so why do we even see color? Oh, for the love of That's God. racist now. Can I just read to you from her bio? Oh, please. Laura? Wait, wait, wait. Sorry. Revolved side angle pose. That's what I'm doing. Laura, a white... This is what she wrote, by the way. Laura, comma... A white, cisgender, straight, able-bodied, middle-class woman works from trauma-informed, consent-based, and anti-oppression approaches. And she checks every this is just single words. box. This is just words. It's like word soup. Diversity is our strength, and our strength is our unity. This is really starting to hurt now. Well, you're not supposed to do that pose unless you're pretty uh, advanced. Okay, well, I always thought that downward-facing dog was going to be harder than upward-facing dog. That is not the case at all. How white do you feel right now? Is this helping? Are you feeling less white? Again, I feel burning sensations. How is that unearned privilege working for you right now in that pose? Oh, boy. How's that dues gap of life working for you? I'm going to do a quick transition from Warrior 1 to Warrior 2. How's that being born on 3rd working for you? And if I am able to put myself into Warrior 3, I'm going to need help getting out of it. (laughs) Gary and Shannon, we will dive into Washington when we come back. Oh, yeah, that hurts. That's what guilt does. It hurts. Shannon, it's a Sports Illustrated story about the Lakers. Well, kind of tangentially about the Lakers. Rich Paul is LeBron James' agent. Rich Paul's also Anthony Davis's agent. And uh, the whole thing is basic. It's a breakdown of how Rich Paul became an agent. Started with a very tenuous relationship with LeBron that blossomed into this big sports agency that he came up with. And uh, is he the guy behind the decision? I, you know, I don't know. I don't remember if he was that guy or not. 
Um, there are reports that the, the the Pelicans owner doesn't want to do the Lakers any favors, for example, and that they may not have right now the deftness to to get Anthony Davis. But it's funny because Rich Paul says, "See, everybody wants to fabricate the facts when it's me." They're just saying, "No, a Rod, don't marry J Lo. Are you out of your mind? This is Jennifer Lopez," and he says. I mean, who would you rather me marry? The Lakers or Jennifer Lopez? You don't want me to date Jennifer Lopez. Give me a reason I shouldn't date J-Lo. What the oh, hell is that dude. analogy? I don't have any idea. Somebody is off his ass. Woo! Sounds fun. Hey, it's time for Swamp Watch. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. Well, President Trump has asserted executive privilege over documents that were subpoenaed by Congress related to the Trump's, the the administration's decision to add a citizenship question to the census. The hell does this all mean? Well, this is uh, definitely going to be a Supreme Court case. Mona Kosar Abdi has been following this for us from Capitol Hill. Mona, how are you today? I'm doing well, Gary. How are you? I'm Shannon. What's going on with this now? All right. So it's definitely a Supreme Court issue. The Supreme Court is going to rule, hopefully by the end of the month, on the decision whether it's constitutional to add this question uh, of whether, uh, when you're filling it out, if you're a citizen or not. Uh, But right now, this hearing, um, or yes, the vote that's about to happen, it hasn't happened yet, they postponed it, is about the House Oversight Committee trying to get documents in their investigation to figure out why this question was added in the first place, the decision behind uh, the reasoning to add this question. And so uh, right now, Democrats say they're not getting the documents that they need, so they're holding a vote to hold uh, Attorney General William Barr and Secretary Ross in contempt. Uh, In retaliation, the Department of Justice uh, announced this morning that um, the president has exerted executive privilege over the subpoena documents. Now, the Department of Justice warned the House uh, panel in a letter yesterday that if they did decide to go through with this vote, that this would happen, and it did right on cue when the, when the hearing started this morning. Uh, they called it premature. They called it an abrupt vote, insinuating that they didn't have enough time to comply. Uh, but Democrats say that this is a bigger issue. This is more about a larger accountability issue, something that they say the current administration is chipping away at. And so they want to know why this question was added. Uh, we heard some passion remarks from uh, House members, uh, House Democrats, who say that uh, this was racially motivated. They say that uh, there's ample um, research that shows that uh, – Adding a citizenship question leads to an undercount of uh, how many people are actually in this country, and it's intended as a voter suppression measure. Are we seeing some sort of pushback by uh, members of Congress on this? Are they fighting against this as well? Uh, Well, 
the Republicans on the panel, this is a very uh, divisive issue. It's a very partisan issue. And so we're seeing the Republicans on the panel say, you know, why not? Why don't Democrats want to know how many citizens are in the country? Uh, we also saw uh, Jim Jordan, the ranking Republican on the panel, say that this is uh, the Democrats' efforts to influence the Supreme Court. Again, the Supreme Court is supposed to uh, hand down a decision later this month about whether it was constitutional, it's constitutional or not. And so they're saying that they're trying to um, to raise this as a bigger issue than it actually is. No? I'm, I'm just a, I'm a little unclear on what sort of documents they're trying to get from the administration. Is it all about the discussion and about whether race was an issue in this or whether uh, uh, F- I, I don't understand what they're looking what they're hoping for. to find? Yeah, uh, this was. A lot of it's like internal emails and exchanges between um, uh, Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross and other members of the Trump administration to figure out. Because initially, um, Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross said that it was the Department of Justice who told him to add the citizenship question onto the 2020 census. Later, uh, after the first round of documents that uh, were handed over to the panel, it came out that it was actually Ross's decision to add the census, uh, excuse me, the citizenship question onto the census. So they're requesting internal emails, uh, other documents. Now, the argument that the Justice Department uh, is presenting is that a lot of these documents have uh, attorney-client privilege. They are um, uh, they're not able to, you know, they're privileged in litigation. And so they're saying that they're not able to turn over uh, the complete documents, but they were willing to accommodate the panel and turn over as much as they could. But Democrats said that what they did receive so far, which is thousands and thousands of documents, uh, were heavily redacted and that they feel that this is another effort by the Trump administration to stonewall another Democratic investigation. Mona Kosar Abdi, thank you so much. Great stuff. Thank you for having me. All right, we come back. A couple other things we want to get to, um, including the president and his discussion of that letter. Do you remember yesterday he was on the White House lawn and he was leaving for Iowa and he talked about the deal with Mexico and then held up a letter out of his breast pocket and said, in here is the secret, but I'm not going to tell you what it is, and then puts it back in his pocket? Well, the Washington Post (laughs) decided to zero in on that letter and was able to pick up some of the content of it. Also, the president and Joe Biden going after each other. The president uh, comparing Biden to crooked Hillary at one point. And his comments about polls. Well, he also said this. Joe Biden is a dummy. Good Lord. Gary and Shannon will continue. So remember we were talking about the undoing whiteness yoga class in Uh, Seattle? I do remember that. Nick tracked down this woman's rates. Uh Uh-oh. You know what she charges? (laughs) For uh, one session, $170. Wow. You can do a five-session yoga therapy package for $697. (laughs) Over $100 for one yoga session. To make you feel bad about yourself. Good Lord. (laughs) Maybe we should start doing some of these undoing whiteness things. That's fine if you think it's going to work. Well, I don't care if it works. We can charge a bunch of money for it, apparently. 
Uh, we are in the middle of uh, Swamp Watch talking about what's going on in Washington, D.C. and politics. Uh, they're connected to yesterday. The uh, the president said a funny line where he said that Joe Biden, Joe Biden is a dummy. You know, it started um, his trip to Iowa. He was in the western side of Iowa. Joe Biden was in the eastern side of Iowa and didn't really. I mean, they just got things started. This is sort of a preview, perhaps, of what will really be going on a year from now. People don't respect him, Trump said of Biden. Even the people that he's running against, they're saying, where is he? What happened? He mentions my name 74 times in one speech. I don't know. That reminds me of Crooked Hillary. She did the same thing. (laughs) He went on to say that Joe Biden is a loser, a sleepy guy, and that he's the weakest mentally when it comes to the different, uh, the 24 some odd people who are running, and that the people don't respect him. Biden told... Biden said that his staff told him that Trump was watching footage of his criticism of the president. And Biden said, I guess he's really fascinated by me. I find it fascinating. And then he started to say more, but then stopped himself saying, my mother would say, Joey, focus, don't descend, stay up. Okay, now, you you can't claim to do that. You can't claim to be playing the high road. And then constantly going after Donald Trump and saying that he's an existential threat to the country. If you want to play the high road, the high road in in a presidential campaign is, here's how I'm going to change the country for the better. That's the president. That's the high road yeah, in a the, campaign. But the, the tact that they're going to take is, I am the person that will unseat this monster. Yes, and I think you're right. You said that yesterday, and I, I totally agree with you. That they That's the thing. That's the thing that will be the one arrow in the quiver for whoever gets the Democratic nomination, is that they are the ones who have the ability to unseat Donald Trump. Then, once they get the nomination, they're going to have to go up against Donald Trump, which is going to be a bigger issue. Well, I have some bad news for your boy, Eric Swalwell. I know how much you're a big fan of him. Swalwell. Representative Eric Swalwell, who is running for president on the Democratic side. Yes. We told you yesterday that the DNC has capped the first debate at 20 candidates. Uh Uh-oh. So 20 hopefuls have already qualified when it comes to polling and donations, including Kamala Harris and Eric Swalwell. But if any more candidates make one of the thresholds by Wednesday, there could be a tiebreaker that could put Swalwell at risk. He's on the bubble, pretty much. Here's how you qualify. You can poll at or above 1% in three qualified surveys or receive donations from 65,000 individual donors in 20 states, including at least 200 from each state. <laughs> uh, here, here are the people that have hit those goals. Oh, I can't wait. Kamala Harris. Yes. Joe Biden. Right. Cory Booker. Mm-hmm. Pete Buttigieg. Starting to get bored. Do you know that he once learned Norwegian just because there was an author he liked and he wanted to read more of that guy's books? <laughs> anyway. Sounds like a total made-up story. Ulian Castro. Yeah. Tulsi Gabbard. Mm-hmm. Jay Inslee. Amy Klobuchar. Beto. Bernie. Elizabeth Warren. Oh, the, the crazy late. I mean, the... Um, Eccentric. Eccentric lady, Marianne Williamson. Yes. And Andrew Yang. 
Yeah, the others, Eric Swalwell, Michael Bennett, Bill de Blasio, John Delaney, John Hickenlooper, Tim Ryan, Steve Ball. How embarrassing is that for Bill de Blasio, by the way? Oh, it's in, it's hilariously funny. Hilariously. Like, uh, Eric Swalwell has reached the threshold. Yeah. But the, but the mayor, mayor of, of New, New York, York City. City. Yeah. He doesn't even have enough name recognition to be That's a blip crazy. On, uh, on that. Hey, uh, the 4th of July... Yeah, what's the plan have you for that? Figured out what you're doing? I haven't. I'm I'm much like the president. Uh, I'm not sure if we're gonna you just go make, over to your house, make random statements, and we'll see if they come true. Yes. Uh, the president has said in the past. It was a couple of months ago where he said, "Hey, circle your calendars for Fourth of July, uh, or whatever it was, because uh, we're gonna have a salute to America with an address by your favorite president, me." And then nothing. Yeah, and then radio silence. In fact, the White House hasn't said what the exact plan is. The National Park Service, which is usually in charge of those Fourth of July celebrations around the Washington Monument, has no idea what's going on. And part of, uh, and I wouldn't say most importantly, but an important part of this is that Washington, D.C. doesn't know what's going on. And D.C. would be responsible for a lot of the security apparatus around the Capitol Mall in the event that the president has a huge event planned. They don't know. Is it going to be at the Washington Monument as it would normally be? Or is it going to be a speech by the president on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial? Different uh, well, different scenario. That's what that National Park Service official was quoted as saying in the Washington Post, that it's a Trump speech on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. Well, that brings with it uh, the question, are they going to allow certain people in or everybody in? Are they going to allow just supporters to sort of keep it as a peaceful thing? Or are they going to allow people in the pink hats and the and the whatever uh, other accoutrement to come in and shout down the president during his 4th of July address? Salute to America. I just imagine some uh, event planner running into the president's office saying, we've really got to figure out what we're doing on July 4th. And him being like, yeah, 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 we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Don't we worry about really it. got to figure it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry Got to about get it. the logistics in place. Uh, I wanted to play for you the president in his uh, Rose Garden comments today. There was a letter that he held up yesterday that was supposed to be the secret ingredient in the, wash, um, in the deal with Mexico. Yeah. The Washington Post zoomed in on the pictures that it took. And since the president was holding up this white piece of paper with typing on it or letters on it, printed on it, you could see through the paper and read what was going on. And in that it. extra little page of the deal that you saw that brilliantly I, I had gained such respect for you people when I held it up to the sunlight and it was closed and you were able to read it through the sunlight. That was not anticipated. But regardless, I mean, you knew enough of what it said and I didn't do it on purpose. But we have a lot of strength in 45 days if we decide to use that strength. Maybe we will and maybe we won't. I love those threats. Maybe we will and maybe we won't. Now, on the on the paper, it talks about whatever agreement it is that goes on between the United States. Some of it's unreadable in it. Uh, and then if the United States determines after 45 calendar days that the measure adopted by the government of Mexico has not sufficiently achieved results... The government of Mexico will take all necessary steps under the domestic law to bring the agreement into force with a view ensuring that the agreement will enter into force within 45 days, which doesn't mean that there's anything coming on the outside of it. It just means please have this in place. Now, it was signed by the acting legal advisor in the U.S. State Department and 
a deputy legal advisor in for uh, Mexico's foreign ministry. So the guys that we've never even heard of signed this agreement that we don't even know what it does. Up next, we will cover what some are calling the biggest disaster in the music business. Oh, this is stunning. Here on Gary and Shannon. Well, this is odd. We don't see this all the time. We do have a chase, which we do see all the time, making his way past Burbank there on that 134, followed by at least one black and white. It is a dark black, looks like what, Honda SUV? Honda Pilot, it looks like. They say that he was wanted for a carpool violation and failing to yield. Well, when you look in... The helicopter shots are so good now. By the way, he's on his way. Looks like he's, uh, I guess it would be technically northbound, but westbound on the 101 through Studio City. Uh, It looks like a middle-aged guy wearing a white ball cap and some sunglasses. He's not going a whole lot faster than traffic. Um, He's wearing long sleeves, which I find to be peculiar because it is a warm day. Some people are sensitive to the sunlight. Not everybody has beautiful skin like you do. Jeez. Oh, well, thank you. Aww. I didn't mean it like that. Never i got to take it however I can get it. I guess. All right. We'll keep an <laughs> eye on this. Uh, it's time for us to go to uh, to Jason Nathanson about this story that we saw uh, just the other day. It was published in the New York Times Magazine, and it is a particularly interesting story. If you remember the fire at Universal Studios from 2008, there was uh, it, obviously the one that, that blew through the King Kong uh, experience, that one part of the studio tour. There was a uh, another portion of a warehouse that burned down that may have taken with it a priceless amount of music master recordings. Jason Nathanson, what are the details here? A lot of master recordings that we've lost forever? Yeah, this is an uh, article in the New York Times Magazine, and they're calling it the biggest disaster in the music business, which is hyperbole, but, I mean, not so far of a stretch when you look at what might have been lost here. We're talking about more than 100,000 master recordings, which would contain over 500,000 songs. And we're looking at Chuck Berry, Elton John, Aretha Franklin, Neil Diamond, Louis Armstrong, Ray Charles, Eric Clapton, Aerosmith, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Nirvana, Eminem. I mean, just the biggest names that you could think of in music over the past 70 or so years. A lot of that stuff was apparently lost in this fire. And the fire got some attention, mostly, like you said, Gary, because of the King Kong stuff. Uh, but this archive building that burned a lot of attention at the time was was focused on the the video stuff that might have been in there. Nobody apparently was paying attention to the music stuff that was in there until this New York Times magazine, which says that it's kind of been an open secret for, for a long time, but nobody's really gone through and accounted for uh, all this stuff that might be gone. Why did it take so long? I mean, why didn't they account for it? Well, I mean, according to the article, it seems like some masterful spin on the part of Universal Music that they did a very good job keeping it quiet and keeping people away. Whether or not that's true or not, we don't know. We do have a statement from Universal uh, talking mostly about the, the music itself, but that they did a very good job when it came, when it came to damage control uh, and keeping that quiet. Now, apparently there was a lawsuit at one point, so there was some more information that the New York Times Magazine got from that. And then they talk extensively to one of the guys in charge of the archive who has since left, so that's why he felt free to talk. But uh, 
the, the extent to which people didn't know about this, it seems a lot of the artists didn't know about it, because we're getting responses today from artists who are seeing this stuff and saying, yeah, we didn't know that this was going on. R.E.M. tweeted out that we're trying to get good information to find out what happened and the effect on the band's music. We will give further details uh, when and where. Questlove from The Roots tweets out, for everyone asking why their albums Do You Want More and Illidale's Half-Life won't get reissue treatment, this is why. They say because of the fire, because they don't have those masters to be able to make a reissue and go back and remaster some of that stuff. Yeah, now, now, can you go through the quick uh, why masters are so important when it comes to the recording industry? Sure. The best explanation that, that I've seen and that, that's in the article is basically you've seen, uh, you know, uh, the Mona Lisa, you've seen pictures of uh, a lot of great artworks, but until you actually see it yourself, you don't know what you're looking at, right? You, you want to go and see the original painting. So if that's the same for paintings, these masters basically are what represents the original of these recordings. They are the original recordings and uh, the article talks about very interestingly how recording technology, especially back in the 60s and 70s and, and, and the 50s, was so far much further advanced than playback technology. So the stuff that they recorded, we've never even heard uh, it, it, the, the full spectrum of it. You hear uh, parts of instruments. You hear frequencies that you've, you've never heard before. So they want to try, as, as a playback technology gets better and better, if you really want to draw that out and hear the truest, uh, you know, uh, essence of that recording, you have to go back to the master. Jason, thank you so much. Appreciate it. That's a sure. very unfortunate loss there. Yeah. We've got to go back to this chase right now. It's uh, on the 101 in Sherman Oaks, and this guy in the uh, Honda Black SUV has hit traffic, all right? And he's just sitting in the traffic, and the uh, black and white SUV highway patrol is behind him and just following him through this traffic. And this guy looks like he's just having a Wednesday afternoon. Yeah. Like there's no action. He just looks calm and collected in that car and just sitting in traffic. We just saw one of those uh, uh, black SUVs, black and white SUVs, the Highway Patrol, pull up right next to him. And because it looked as if, or he was driving as if, he didn't even know they were behind him. I mean, he wasn't making erratic lane changes or anything like that. So they pulled up right next to him, it's clearly so that you would be in the field of vision. If for some reason he didn't ever look in That's his rearview mirror. That's what they're doing mirror, now. Yeah, they're getting right up next to and him. And it looks like they're going to try and box him in because there's a couple other black and whites behind that, that lead SUV. But again, it's it's pretty slow on the 101, as you can imagine, uh, through Sherman Oaks. Yeah, this is, and again, the guy's not going a whole lot faster than traffic uh, because there is so much traffic there. He wasn't, when he came through Burbank a few minutes ago, he wasn't flying through uh, when the roads were Maybe open. Maybe he has headphones on and he's not paying attention. They're right in Sherman Oaks where the 101 is now going over the 405, so they're going to hit even more traffic where they combine there, but... I mean, he's going, it looks like about 35 miles an hour. It doesn't look right. like he's going too he, fast. He's not like driving in the shoulder or anything. No. He looks like a, just a normal dude doing his everyday uh, drive here. I hope this isn't just now a guy. They're just, I mean, they're stopped. It's like five miles per hour. You now, hope what? I, I hope it's not a guy who's confused. I mean, because the first image I saw, he looked like an older guy. Just Yeah. 
I don't, I'm not sure what we're dealing with here, and nor do the cops. They don't know who they're dealing with. I mean, they run the plate, but they don't know if that's the person inside. They, I wonder but, if it's like a uh, like a diabetic coma thing where they like zone out, don't know what's going on, kind of thing. <laughs> if that, that's what that, it looks okay, like, that seen could pe- be the case. I've but, seen. Pe- I know a guy that happened to all the time, but he's well, handling the car very well. I yeah. mean, it's yeah, not like that's he's true. you know scraping the the guardrails or anything like that. Yeah, but the cop lights are on. Yes, yeah. there's you... three vehicles that I can see right now that are behind him. One almost crashed into him trying to get him to pull over. And I don't listen. Other people who are driving and seeing these uh, these three or four highway patrol vehicles, they they look like they've been getting out of the way. Yeah. Okay. Now here he comes up. Another oh. unit to his left, matching his speed. Just pulls right oh, in front of him. Try and sideswipe him. And he's not no. even. He's no. <laughs> just coasted on by. You know that feeling when that when the car next to you pulls over into your lane or yeah. slowly drifts. That's yeah. what the CHP unit's trying to do. Yep. And the guy's staying in his own lane. I it, almost as if he doesn't know that that's a highway patrol I mean, officer he's there. He's not moving his arms or anything. It's, <laughs> it's like, a dummy. Spoiler alert. It's a what dummy. It's going it's on. It's a remote control Maybe car or something. Maybe he's just really high. It's a drone. He could be high. Listen, the highway patrol officer is doing everything he can, he or she can, to oh not my. hit that Honda pilot. And he's but just like gradually just ushering over to the other yeah, side to get around him. Trying and... to usher him to oh, the... Uh... Oh, is this it? Is yeah, this, this is got to be it. No. no, no. He's just going no. around. Him. Do you think he's getting irritated <laughs> with the officer? Like, hey, stay in your lane, buddy. What if, yes. you're that, what if you're in that Miata right there? I, like, the I do think he's getting aggravated. Like, who does this driver think he is yeah. trying to stop me? Oh, so now the go. unit Boxing is him in. Yeah, boxing him in. There's one unit in front of him, one behind him. They're now stopped, and then a car pulled up on the driver's side. All the officers are getting out. Wow. There's some crossfire the issues there. This bad. Oh boy! No. I can, and like, the guy's like calmly sitting in the driver's there's seat. There's still plenty of room to get out of there if he wanted to I go. Can feel the adrenaline. The one of the CHP officers walked up straight to his window. Yeah. Usually, that's very rare. Usually, they have him get out of the vehicle. None of them pulled their guns on this. On guy. their own. Here we go. It's going to be an older gentleman. Yeah. This is the most anticlimactic. End to a chase. They think I've ever that he's seen. going through something, and he might. It was a be. Really anti, relatively anticlimactic chase, though. It was. Yeah. He wasn't really trying to evade the police. Again, one of the officers is standing there. It looks like he's just pleading with him to get out of the car. <laughs> They've taken his seatbelt off, sir. Uh, sir. Uh, Please. And I have an appointment. What's going on there? It's an elderly gentleman, oh, guys. No. This is very sad. This is very sad. Yep. It's a it's a grandpa or a great grandpa. Oh, he and is. He is disoriented. Oh yeah, he's very old. Yes, he's very old, and he <laughs> it looks like he's very frail. Um, and he has trouble walking. Maybe so. A there's bit. no dog. Are you saying there's they're not going to bring a dog out? Is a well dressed man with a long white shirt and uh, khaki pants. But again, yeah, has a little bit of trouble walking, a little mobility issue, and now they're they've got his hand. They're putting his hands behind his head. Well, that's uh, that's unfortunate. I don't feel good about that one. Let's take a break. Okay. We'll come oh. back and we'll talk about uh, uh, Denver nine one one. They're going to have civilian teams responding to some nine one one calls. What could go wrong? Okay. I do think that that was the future John Cobalt. Because he drives in a carpool lane all the time by himself. And I could see him not realizing that he was getting pulled over for miles. 
Get in my lane. Get out of my lane. What's going on? I don't. I don't think that's the future, John Como. You don't. No. No, you you don't know him as well as I do. Okay. Well, I'll trust you on that one. Hey, um, do you love tacos? I do. Everybody loves tacos. How can you not love tacos? Join Neil Saavedra for All You Can Eat Tacos this Saturday, June 15th, as he broadcasts the Fork Report live. Live? Live. From? The? You, are, you, are you slowing down so I will say it? Yes. The Takeando Fest. Takeando Fest. You shed all that Downtown whiteness Los earlier Angeles. with your yoga, so I thought you could handle it. Uh, it feels like it's coming back. I do have feeling back in my legs now. 50 of the best taco makers from Mexico, Europa, and here in the <laughs> United States gathered to fulfill your taco fantasies? Yeah, get it. For tickets? What? Takeandofest.com. T-A. Can you do it in Spanish? Como se dice what? Takeando. Spell it in Spanish. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> T-A-Q-U-E-A-N-D-O. T-A-Q-U-E-A-N-D-O. Takeando. TakeandoFest.com. Denver police are developing a pilot program that would dispatch civilian teams to certain 911 calls. So instead of a police officer, a team of mental health workers and medics would respond. This is a great idea. It is fantastic. I know that L.A. County has something like this, but I don't think they're dispatched without a deputy involved. I think a deputy is always with them. Um, But in this case, they're talking about 10 to 20 percent of the 911 calls could be diverted to a trained civilian instead of an officer. Uh, that you would have a mental health professional, maybe even a medic, to in a place where you wouldn't necessarily need police presence, which is good because that frees up, um, not only does it free up officers to do the more strenuous things, but uh, it has a, an actual response to what appears to be a mental health crisis. Well, it's like is- the man what we told you about last week who called 911 17 times because he was lonely. Right. Cops don't need to respond to that. Exactly. So this may be the uh, pilot program for something like that. Look at that guy in there. He looks like a super dad, doesn't he? In that shirt. Is that shirt tucked in? Yes, sir. I didn't know we did that now. Dads do that all the time. Not all the time. Not all the time? No. No. Nope. Justin is host of the Dad Podcast, and he joins us when we come back. We're going to be talking about daddy shaming and why the Dutch raise the happiest kids. There you go. Untuck it, baby. Yeah. I didn't know you had a tattoo. I've seen Justin without his top on a lot. Oh, uh, Justin, we have to tell you the funny story where Monica said that that you and I should do a stand-up show together. And I said, I've got a story about that. (laughs) Monica, I'll tell you the story when we come back. Okay, great. Gary Chana will continue. Justin Warsham, host of the Dad Podcast, will join us. (laughs) So were they swingers? Or did they just go to the convention? Uh, uh, I don't know, to be honest. I really don't. Yeah, were they catering or participating? Um, These are all good questions that you don't want to have answered. Excellent point. Uh, The chief executive in Hong Kong is blaming protesters for a politically motivated riot that followed a demonstration over a proposal to allow extradition to the mainland, uh, to mainland China. Carrie Lam is a 
executive, chief executive, and said that some young people in the crowd had expressed their views peacefully, but she was condemning the protesters who resorted to dangerous, life-threatening uh, acts. Thousands of people have been in the streets there in Hong Kong. I have some troubling breaking news. Uh-oh. L.A. County public health officials say its inspectors have cited 85 businesses in Skid Row for violations of trash removal and storage regulations. Interesting. The inspectors are going back to the area this week to see if the businesses have taken corrective actions. Last time I checked, the businesses aren't the reason that there is oh, that there are overflowing dumpsters and a bunch of trash in the alleys and rodents. It's the people that are living on the street that are causing that garbage. Well, there were also allegations that the comp- the, the businesses weren't paying. To have their trash picked up. Well, they shouldn't have to because people that are living there are probably using their trash stuff. It's very it's very um, unlikely that a business is squatting and dropping a deuce on a sidewalk somewhere. That's it's fair that you said unlikely. I, love unlikely. I, I just love I that the, the city is unlikely. going after businesses yep. instead of the, the people that are causing the problem. You Whatever. don't want people to feel bad. Good Lord. Justin Warchin, <laughs> host of The Dad Podcast, has joined us. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know why it amuses me so much. Whenever Shannon goes, "Good Lord, GL," yeah, I think it's I think it's like she gets so frustrated because I know she's got a foul mouth, and I don't mean that to be disrespectful. How dare yeah, you. no, it's true. Come on, how dare you <laughs> try to act like you're somebody that you're not? But it's like it's like a, a cycle, right? Like when she says "Good Lord," I feel like she's so angry that an f bomb won't. You know, won't take care of it. Yeah, I don't think it's about restricting for FCC rules. No, I think even if she's just in a room, she'd be like, "Good lord!" And Greg's like, "No, that's it's not good." White hot anger at that point, I think, is what it is. All right, Uh, which one do you want to hit first, guys? Well, did you want to tell the story real quick? Oh, Justin did it. Justin Um, did a stand-up show at Flappers here in Burbank. Yes, and we all went to support uh, Monica. And as I mentioned earlier in the show, I once saw Gary Hoffman do stand-up years ago in Hollywood. Laugh Factory. (laughs) At the Laugh Factory. Whoa, that's a big. Big venue here, right? Yeah, yes. and he did very well, and we all went to support him the same way years later we all went to support Justin. The difference is is this time Gary was not on stage. It was yeah. Justin who was the star of the show. <laughs> and after a couple not Manhattans, I le- <laughs> lean into Gary and I said, you should totally storm this stage. <laughs> and so Gary... No, thinking that Justin's yeah. act was nearing its end, it wasn't. Which is the right time uh, to come up. Rush run, runs out of the booth and rushes up to the stage no. and just yeah. stands there. He's st- and, and, and Justin's trying to like incorporate him into the routine because he's trying to be a good friend. And, Shannon's husband, by by the way, after the show was unbelievably impressed. By my, he was like, he goes, I can't believe how well you handled that. And I think it's because, thankfully, I was in a part of my stand-up career where I didn't really care. Like, I didn't feel like it was an audition, which was great because it allowed me to just go, this will be fun. Like, this. I'm pretty sure that Gary's wife and my husband were so annoyed with us that we ruined 
the evening. Yeah, poor oh. uh, poor Gary Shannon kept going. I'm so sorry. I, I think I'm I think so I just would have been like, "What are you doing?" Oh, that's what that's what Justin's wife said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. she was. She goes, "Wait a minute, where's where's he going?" <laughs> you guys, it wasn't good. And in Gary's defense, it wasn't just. Uh, I think you guys were also either. I thought I thought it was old fashions that you guys had had at the uh, club. There's a two drink here, minimum. There. But before that, we also participated in two drink minimum at a very infamous Mexican food place here Margie's. in Burbank yeah, we had called Don Cucco, yeah. which is known for their strong Cadillac margaritas, where you two of those and you're done. Who knew? Who knew? So we found out. Gary doesn't listen to my my advice anymore. So I worked him into my closer, and the manager at Flappers came up to me very frustrated and goes, listen, man, if you're going to have somebody from the crowd come up and be a part of your show, you got to let me know. We almost tackled that guy. Yeah. And I said, well, I would love to do that, Will, but I did not know that was going to happen. That would have been amazing if Gary got tackled. You have tackled. no idea how amazing it would have been. They have it on video <laughs> archive somewhere. Burn on my nose. I politely asked the owner to destroy it for you, Gary. Thank you. You're welcome, buddy. Wow. Let's talk about dad shaming. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Segway. Uh, Look at that. You're a, have you're you ever a, been shamed for anything, Gary, that you've done? Oh, gosh. <laughs> never. Never. You're a stay-at-home dad. Yes. Is that the source of... Uh, yeah, you know, this was public shaming. Sometimes I feel like this was a little kind of Rorschachish of me when I saw this on the interwebs. That I was like, "Yeah, yeah, that's happened." You're <laughs> too sensitive. I am not too sensitive. How dare you? That's uh, how the problem exists, Gary. Oh, okay. If we as men continue to be portrayed as being too sensitive, why? Because we have feelings, Gary. <laughs> it's okay because to we have, have emotions. Yeah. If you prick me, do I not bleed? Well, wait a minute. Now, the the idea that stay at home dads are not getting the respect, perhaps that they that they deserve or they feel they deserve, it's changing. Yes. I mean, we're seeing even in just. Um, advertisements for kids things child uh, diaper products right stuff like that well you remember uh, here's the th- the first time i ever experienced this then but it wasn't really offensive to me was uh, i think it was almost a decade ago huggies came out with the a, a campaign for their diapers that said that our diapers are so good they hold up to what they called the dad challenge so that when uh, when your child or infant is home alone with just dad, Jeez. that diaper ain't being changed at all. Right. So this diaper can go sometimes oh, two, three days. They didn't say that. But oh. you know what I mean? Like yeah, that, was was, the, that was the point. They that were was, like, look yeah. at it. Like it was just the volume at which it can carry is so impressive. That's disgusting. Yeah. Because dads don't know how to smell things. And th- there was a lot of dads who are even more sensitive than I. And they've got up in arms. But what I found really interesting about this survey that they did was really that not only did they find that there was a lot of dad shaming, but that how much it impacted dads. Like I, I find that dads for the most part, I kid, but like there wasn't a, like there wasn't the majority of dads were up in arms about the Huggies thing. There was a small group on the internet that were posting on Facebook for Huggies. That was about it. It wasn't a major news story. Gary, could you imagine posting on Facebook about the Huggies commercial and how it offended you? <laughs> Okay, for frame of, for, just for a frame of reference, yes. what would be something that would take Gary Hoffman to the internet to post in frustration on a Facebook page of some kind? Oh, man. Would it have I, to be baseball-related? or uh, No, it could be just people being a-holes. Or okay. uh, uh, people making tragedies or grief about themselves and not about the you know, Oh, I see. When something else, yeah. Okay. All right, go. Go. I mean, we talked about that a little bit earlier today. It was uh, rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. So, um... I, but you have you ever experienced this? The firsthand dad shaming I got was at preschool. I was taking my kids in, and it was that time of the year in Southern California where it's 60 degrees or 64 degrees 
for the first three hours of the day, and then it jumps up to 72 oh, yeah. by about 11 a.m. And they were like, where are their sweaters? Where are the, where are the kids' sweaters? And I said, they're fine. It's going to be warm later. That was, was that just a generic character? You know what, that would was that really a, piss a woman? me off. That was off. a woman. That was okay. always a that woman. Would really piss me off. If that happened to you? If somebody said to me, where are their sweaters? Like, I believe you'd get hit in the face for saying something like that. Like, this basically saying, you're a bad parent. Oh, yeah. You don't oh, know what your child what needs. Yeah. Yes. That would, you know what? I made there a good is life a lot decision. Of, like, I've literally. That would, I mean, I feel very angry. That's what for I do you. here for Shannon. Yeah. Every week I come in and validate her choice to be yeah. a dink. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> so great. Because <laughs> you'd be in a fight with a mom at oh, a parking lot at a preschool like that. Like, no, no problem. Oh, yeah. Yeah, most of the shaming that dads get is in regards to nutrition, playing too rough with them, or not. The one that I thought was really interesting is not like paying enough attention to them, which honestly I do think is part of the dad role. I do think that even in, they even talked about this in research where it's same sex couples that usually there's they fall into some kind of role that you would not necessarily call feminine or not, but like there's one who's more disciplinarian and there's one who's more coddling. Like that's just how it works out for whatever reason. Right. I don't want to step on those landmines. But the research has shown that, that, they're, that you still develop similar roles or sim- that to what a heterosexual couple would have. And I just, I don't know. The one that it's, that I think that as a dad, you're supposed to, part of your role is to let the kid fall down or to be fine with it and not to be like, oh, everything is a big deal. Am I wrong, you think? No, I think that's, that's perfect. The question is when, uh, when if someone were to say something, Where's the kid's sweater? How come you didn't prevent him from taking a ball in the crotch? You know, whatever. Is whether or not you're going to be offended by it. Yeah. You know, oh, okay. Because criticism is one thing. It's, it's everybody, you're going to be criticized for something by someone. The question is, do you care enough what that person thinks to have it alter the way that you're behaving? And is it manly kid? for me to give a, you know, a rat's a about what uh, some mom thinks about my sweater status on my kids? Like, is that yeah. kind of part of your point, too? Uh, yes. It's a little less manly, too. The correct too. reaction is... What about Shannon's my reaction? My reaction would be, I know when my kid needs a freaking sweater, all right? I know my kid better than you. Taste my left hook. Just, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. no, exactly. that's... that's She's saying that while standing over the body of the mother. <laughs> yeah. That she's she's who's no clutching longer, her nose yeah. and she's trying to figure out where they are. She's I no longer with us. Oh, man. Right. I want to I get a time-traveling machine and, or go into like a Sliders universe and just see angry Shannon mom. Justin Warsham has joined us, host of the Dad Podcast, which you can find, of course, on the iHeartRadio app. We'll come back and talk about uh, Dutch parents. Yeah. When we come <laughs> Monica Ricks, what's up? Don't forget, Friday is our next News of Brews. We're going to be at HQ Gastropub in Huntington Beach uh, from 10 until 2, doing our show live out there. Love it if you would come on by and say hello if you're down there for any reason. Maybe you live there. That'd be fine. Uh, you're just driving through. All the information, including directions, where to park, all that sort of stuff for HQ Gastropub for this Friday. Go to KFIAM640.com. Use the keyword Gary and Shannon. Gary. Yes, sir. There are many levels to your intelligence you have no idea i admire right yeah but (laughs) i just think i think it's worth pointing out how impressive it was that you stayed the course while she was shannon was shannon was being the shannon that i don't know if you've talked about this for the listeners but shannon has a thing and when she's done right that she starts to pre-pack up and leave yeah you know what i mean so i feel like 
that little noise that people heard in the background of the dash of their car stereo was Shannon going, listen, we got one more second, guys. Yeah. One more segment, and then we're out of here. <laughs> She's already, you know, if Are anything, you on vacation starting tomorrow or something? No. no, no. If anything News happened where tomorrow? we had to revisit a, a story that we did a while ago, she'd be she'd be screwed because she's already thrown everything <laughs> yeah, away everything's from gone. the show. I don't know how I'm going to make my way through this meeting that we're supposed to have. Uh-oh. I, my focus is gone. Uh, we'll get through it. Okay. Trust me. Just don't take your purse in there. That's rude. <laughs> what? Love it. Uh, there's a, Dutch parents, yeah. Dutch parenting. CNBC did this article about uh, Dutch parenting. This, uh, the person who wrote the article spent seven years studying Dutch parenting, and they said that they have the reasons why the kids are the happiest kids in the world. And the good news is, is they broke it down into seven easy, uh, easy steps. One of them, the first one, is both parents, right? Both parents are around. The, and because we talked about this before, is that in Europe and everything, they have more paternal and maternal leave you can right. go leave your job but here they most of the parents are working just part-time while they're parents which i was fascinated by like how what's the I cost think there's of a lot there? of government subsidies yes. yeah has to be but then yeah. how did those get paid for like is it i don't know Pop. that's the part that i want to study is well there's not that big, much of a population yeah you know what helps. i mean like there's a lot of things that they do there that make quality of life better that just aren't viable for the kind of numbers that we have here in this country now you know this because you've been there multiple times right because of your multiple vacations to this isn't no, the place I've you never have been there oh you've never been no. well maybe go there for work purposes and find out more about how they like you want me to go on like a research project? Absolutely, and also have some Dutch pancakes. I think it would be good. Yeah, okay. but what what about this? What about the one that kids are encouraged to express their opinions? I'm so glad you said that because that was the one, <laughs> the one thing. That I, I was had not allowed with. to express my opinion. No. I mean, it didn't stop me, but it was clearly like, look at what you do for a living. But it was, you know, it was like you know, you're supposed to be seen and not heard, kind yeah. of a thing. Yeah. And so that's is it because it's an American thing? Because honest to God, Gary, that is the one thing. So it goes on, just to give everybody some context here, it talks about how there's no pressure to excel in school, that instead of dinner together, they focus on having breakfast, like that's the meal that everybody shares as well. I think I'm missing, uh, we got the both parents, and then sleep, right? So they have all these nice things that are pretty much easy to agree upon, and then the one that stuck out to me was the one that they're like, they always give the kid an opportunity to voice their opinion, and they negotiate a lot with them if the kid disagrees with them, and they feel like it teaches... That gives them the ability, which I kind of agree with. It gives them the ability to learn skills to negotiate once they get older. But why does that? What is it about me and my American brain that makes me feel like that's just going to make a pompous apple of a kid? That if I let him think his his opinion matters. Well, I think that's it. And, and as your kids get older, you'll hear what they have to say. I mean, in the conversation that you have about whatever uh, punishment or uh, rules in the house or uh, hard times, you know, a loved one dies or something like that. You'll listen to them, but the point of you listening to them is not so you go, oh, you made a great point there, Bob. I never thought of that. It's just to know how they feel about it. It's how they feel about it. Yeah. But but you can also tell them, okay, it's 100% okay for you to have feelings, but uh, fear, for example, it's okay for you to be afraid of trying out for the sports team, but you can't let your fear prevent you from doing it. So it's, I mean, the idea that you, you can encourage them to tell you what their feelings are but then you have to tell them how to deal with it and not yeah. just be completely, you know, uh, com- completely uh, crippled by the feelings that they may have. As about a prime situations. example, when I talked about on this segment about Jack, uh, what I believe, lying to me about seeing my passed away grandfather uh, when he closed his right. eyes, yeah. right, at school having an emotional breakdown. Like, to me, what I expressed to him was like, 
okay, sure, you you can feel that way, but a part of that is this is not the time or the place. You gotta you gotta learn to rein that crap in and get your stuff together, and then we'll talk about it later. Yeah, conveniently, not a problem. Two hours later, and plus, little Dutch kids have such horrible accents. Oh gosh, why would you want to listen to them? I think they're like three steps worse than Caillou. That's what I think they are. John and Ken show coming up next. We'll see you tomorrow. Stay dry, everybody. Be sure to be with us next time for further adventures of Gary and Shannon.